Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host, and I have with me in the studio today one of our recent graduates, Florian Wyken. Florian, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. As you can tell, Florian is not from the same place I'm from, and he's not from Greenville. He has a slightly different accent. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But by way of introduction, he recently graduated through our extension campus, Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Gateshead, England. And our hope is that this extension will continue to mature and grow into a sister seminary with its own uh, fully-fledged administration. But at this point, we're sharing faculty resources between the two schools and uh, sharing some of the administrative responsibilities as well. And we're just so excited about what the Lord is doing there in England. And though Florian graduated there, this is interesting, he's not going to stay there. He's going to uh, a land a bit a bit further south than, uh, than jolly old England, and he's going to be going to uh, Zurich, Switzerland. And I want to give him a chance to talk about some of that today as well and the mission work that's going to be going on there. But before we dive into that, uh, Florian... Can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Greenville and what your experience was as a student? Yeah, thank you very much. So um, first I have to actually say it's not in Gateshead anymore, our seminary. It's in Newcastle. We just recently moved um, into a very beautiful building, um, 17th century building in Newcastle. Um, Well, the reason why um, I went to England to study Reformed theology was really because I couldn't find any good seminary in Switzerland, a confessionally Reformed seminary. Um, So the first time I encountered Reformed uh, theology was in Scotland during an exchange term. And that was really interesting for me because I've never seen conservative Christians baptizing their children. Um, It was very weird for me in the beginning. But really through the years then and also studying at the Free Church College back then it was called, now it's called Edinburgh Theological Seminary for one and a half years um, and then getting married to a Scottish wife, Veronica, and we moved back to Switzerland and I was still very much a Baptist back then, but I started to preach in my home church regularly and I started to preach through um, Acts and saw more and more the continuity uh, there than the discontinuity. And in that time, I really sensed a a, a calling for the ministry. And it was through a contact that was established through another alumni, Benjamin Wontrop, who um, introduced me to Dr. Bill Schweitzer, um, who is also a lecturer and a professor at our seminary in England. And he invited me to study. Um, there because I couldn't find a good reformed seminary and that's really kind of the reason why I went there it was really I'm really grateful for the opportunity I've had um, in 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 Newcastle most of the time it was in Gateshead for me but now we're in Newcastle yeah very good and and that's greatly encouraging to us because we are praying fervently for that work we've been so thrilled to see the Lord bless uh, bless Westminster Presbyterian Theological Seminary with growth and with, with godly men and leadership, just as the Lord's blessing Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary with the same and growth in our student body over uh, recent years. Florian, for those listeners who aren't familiar with WPTS, can you tell us just very briefly the setup 
Um, you know, who, who are, who are your primary instructors? How much of what you did in seminary came out of main campus here through the internet and, and what kind of training opportunities did you have then in the local church there? Basically the, the deal was really that I would, um, study full time. Um, and full-time means really that about half of the classes uh, were done at WPTS and half of the classes with Greenville um, via online feed and so on. Um, and that was basically how we kind of managed. We have some teachers in England. So there's, of course, Dr. Bill Schweitzer, uh, one of the main ones, systematic theology. Uh, many of the classes have taken with him. Um, then there is Ian Hamilton, who's sometimes also in Greenville, I believe. One of our trustees and adjunct faculty members. Just yeah. had him yeah. a couple weeks ago for ah, great. pastoral theology of Calvin and Owen. It was a yeah. great class. I'm sure it was. He's a really good teacher. And then we have Dr. Peter Naylor, who is also a minister in Cardiff, Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. And he is teaching... Um, Hebrew at the moment and also biblical theology uh, quite a bit. He's a really, really good man, gifted man. And then we have Reverend Richard Holst and he is um, doing Greek um, and I've gone through the Greek with him. And then there's Dr. Kevin Bidwell as well in Sheffield and he's doing particularly something on the Trinity and has also done something on missions and so on. So all of these men are ordained in uh, your sending church, which is Evangelical Presbyterian Church of England and Wales, correct? They are, exactly. Except one other, and he was just recently added to the faculty, actually, Dan Peters. And he is also a minister, and he's minister of the um, of a Reformed Church in Newcastle. Um, and he has been added. He is, though, also, of course, a man who subscribes to the Westminster Confession um, and yeah, he's a good man as well. What kind of internship or, or ministerial experience did you get while you were a student there at the seminary in England? That was really that we would do the full-time um, student work, so to say, and be, be a student. But then there was also the deal was to be an intern with the church. And now um, it used to be Gateshead Presbyterian Church for the most of the time when I was there. But because our church moved to um, All Saints, we are now called All Saints Presbyterian Church in Newcastle, in this beautiful elliptic church. And we are meant to be interns there, so 10 to 15 hours per week to work for the church. There are, of course, work kind of administrative tasks we have to, to do. But we also have really an opportunity to see um, our minister at work and also the session, some of the things they are doing. Um, and seeing how they deal with people pastorally and so on. And um, yeah, it's really one main thing is really daily being in the office there in the church and see how things are being run. And it has been a really good experience, definitely. My understanding is that the men who come through the program at WPTS uh, generally or largely are going into church planting opportunities. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of specific training are you getting then in your seminary years to prepare you as a church planter? So mainly it's also because Gates of Presbyterian Church um, has only been there for now, I think, 11 years, so then All Saints Presbyterian Church. So much of the time I was there and also Nathan Hilton and other alumni, we already saw kind of how um, church planting works and so on. So that's certainly, I would say, the main thing, really. 
And then the other thing is because we are part of the EPQ, Evangelical Presbyterian Church in England and Wales, which is again also all about church planting. So we have just now a church plant running in Oxford, uh, soon in Lincoln, then in Salford, in Sunderland, and Nathan Hilton is there. So we have actually first-hand experience really there. Um, something else um, Dr. Bill Schweitzer is doing with us, he is also um, or used to be a captain with the U.S. Marines, and he is really particularly also emphasizing leadership and to take um, responsibility in these situations. And uh, something we have really learned that often why church plants fail is that there's a lack of leadership people really proactively and um, pursuing all these opportunities and leading people on graciously lovingly yet firmly and with a clear goal and aim uh, yeah to glorify god first and foremost that dovetails nicely into the next part of our conversation. We can return to some other just discussion about theology and your family and getting to know you. But at this point, let's shift gears. Let's talk about what's on the horizon for you and the work you're already engaged in and with in Zurich, Switzerland. Tell us a little bit about your interest. Uh, some of that's going to be obvious because of your background. That's where you're from. But also uh, the opportunities that are presented to you there and, and why you're wanting to go there to plant a church. So for me, always, when I when I went over to England, it was very clear that I want to go back to Switzerland just because of the situation in Switzerland. So as I already mentioned, there is not really a confessional um, seminary in Switzerland. And there's also not really a confessionally reformed church in Switzerland at all. Um, so, uh, by church is, you mean denominational body. There yes, might there might be there are some congregations in other parts of the country that we could say are confessionally reformed. Yes, that, that, that's true. Yeah. So I know of two um, church plants actually in Switzerland, which are have the Presbyterian Church polity, and they're trying to set something up. One in Basel, which is also one of the Reformation city, and one Winterthur. Um, but there is really the aim what we have to establish a confessional Presbyterian church in Zurich. And Zurich, to my knowledge, has nothing, really not even Reformed Baptists in Zurich. And so we, um, from the session of All Saints Presbyterian Church and the EPQ, we try to, to plant a church in Zurich again. And I'm taking the lead in this. We've had so far three monthly Bible studies. Every month we have one. And the next one we'll have actually next week. And um, that is quite exciting. And so far we've had quite a good response from people. It's really a, about 15 people we've had the first two times, um, which is not too bad for Europe, really. And the people have been very enthusiastic uh, so far. And we can really pray that this uh, continues to be the case. I mean, this is the city of Ulrich Zwingli and of, uh, of Henry Bollinger. And so yeah, right. for those of us who... Uh, live and breathe and, and love to talk about the 16th and 17th centuries, we might think Zurich doesn't have a, a confessionally reformed witness. What happened? So maybe you did this so well for us last night at our prayer meeting at my church, but rehearse, rehearse a little bit of that history from the 30,000-foot level. Again, for our listeners today, what happened in Switzerland? What has brought us to this present darkness? To have like a, a perfect analysis, I think I need to do some more studies, but... Um I think, yeah, as you already said, Bullinger and Swingley, they worked in the city and it was quite amazing that 
amount like with Geneva and then Wittenberg, the kind of the center where the Reformation started. And Zwingli even in his own testimony once said that he didn't learn the doctrines from Luther. He basically through studying and studying the church fathers and so on, he came to that conclusion. Whether it's true or not, it's a matter of debate a bit. I think it's well attested. <laughs> Just looking at the chronology of his yeah. publications and considering how long it took to get documents from one place to another and the it's turmoil, possible, I, yeah. I think it really it really was an outgrowth of Zwingli uh, engaging with humanist scholarship and mm-hmm. going ad fontes back yeah. to the sources yeah. and coming to some pretty obvious conclusions. And then the divergences between Zwingli and Luther are so extreme yeah. on yeah. certain issues yeah. that yeah. it's it's very plausible to me that Zwingli's telling the truth. Yeah. But then yeah, we'll yeah. leave this to the professionals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's really, I mean, the things like what you kind of mentioned again, things that he derivated certainly from Luther were to some extent the regulative principle already, at least in seed form. Um, then there were things like one of the reformers in Zurich who renumbered the Ten Commandments, how we have it today. Then Bullinger was the man who defined for the first time um, covenantal theology. So we really, as Presbyterians, stand on his shoulders for that. He wrote the second Helvetic Confession, uh, 1562. And so so much we owe, really, to, to Zurich, what has come out there. But it is really, I think, um, it started really in the 17th century, where you kind of see um, where things go down again. So there was, of course, Heidecker in, in Zurich. He was one of the reformed scholastics. And Turretin in, in Geneva. And they were actually really pushing against the uh, Amiraldianism that is coming in from France and so on, and were actually also writing something called the um, Helvetic Consensus Formula from 1675, which is a very interesting read, actually, because it confirms... Um, Calvinism and total depravity of man and it was accepted by all Swiss churches, all cities at that time. But it was in shortly after the death of Turretin that his son started really to push back basically and he was the one who oversaw the abrogation of that um, Helvetic consensus formula and then much later as well. I'm not entirely sure again when, but it could be as early as the 19th or 20th century where they actually got rid of the Second Helvetic Confession as well. And now the Swiss Reformed Church has no confession at all. They are proud to say they have no confession and they think they have evolved so much that they don't need a confession anymore. And functionally, most of my listenership is here in the United States, though we have a significant international listenership as well. But functionally, uh, as Florian was describing this last night, uh, I thought of um, you know my mother church where I was converted, the PCUSA, where even though they've adopted a book of confessions, and so you could describe them as confessional in some weird, mongrelized uh, way, uh, functionally they have no confession. And so the Swiss Reformed Churches predictably, therefore, resemble, for American listeners and our point of reference, our mainline Protestant churches, which are confessionless and, and, and licentious in so many areas, particularly sexual ethics, but also uh, application of the law of God and um, ordination standards and qualifications and just uh, the place of Scripture in our lives. So uh, it's a sad story, but it's one that's not not altogether unfamiliar to us. And I think the challenge is not to grow cynical, but rather to to take heart, to be courageous, to stand fast and hold fast to our confession, 
and to press on for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And that's what I see you doing in this humble Bible study that hopefully will, will, will grow and develop not only into a congregation uh, with property and all that good stuff, but into a presbytery in the northern part of Switzerland and maybe even a new denomination that will, that will then in turn plant churches elsewhere. I, I love this because EPQ, E-P-C-E-W, is not a large denomination. No, it's no, it's really uh, just a few churches at this point, many of, of whom are church plants, but with a strong emphasis on the ordinary means of grace and this impulse, this need, this, this compulsion to go out into the ends of the earth, back, back into the heartland of the Reformation or otherwise elsewhere where Reformation has not yet reached, even historically, and to plant more churches that are holding forth the ordinary means of grace and in them holding forth Christ our exalted Lord. And so that's what I, I see happening in your ministry and I'm celebrating. And, um, and if that doesn't get us excited to get behind you, I don't know what will. So I imagine some of our listeners are excited oh, about thank this. You, yeah. What could they do to be supportive yeah, yeah, uh, spiritually, yeah. financially, you know, get, give us some direction here. Yeah. Well, first I want to say what you mentioned about ordinary means ministry, that is really on our heart. So um, it was really I think the first sermon he Swingley had, well, I know it for a fact, was 1st January 1519, Ghostminster. And he made it very clear from the beginning, he's doing away with the church calendar and he will only preach through the scriptures. And that is really what changed everything. And it's the same with the controversy with the Anabaptists afterwards. The Anabaptists were, on many things, were very impatient for reform and Swingley apparently was always just saying let let the word do it and he was preaching it that of course he wasn't shrinking back from his own responsibility but if it wasn't time yet to change things he would just say okay I preach the word of God and it will change things and I think there's even something Swingley once said about um, the Rhine River that has its spring in, in Switzerland and that the word of God basically needs to meet resistance to that the power of it would be shown like when the Rhine would meet resistance, it would show its power by kind of taking the resistance away and find a new way or find a new way. So that's how he basically compared scripture, uh, the power of scripture with the Rhine River where he grew, grew up basically close to it. So, but yeah, really what, what you can do, and, and again, I want to really reiterate, not just to say it in order that it's being said, but please pray for us. Please pray for us. Um, and, and that if I know that lots of people are praying for it fervently, um, as we had yesterday at Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church, it was such an encouragement to see the saints praying already for this work. So please also join in and pray that there would be again um, a confessional church, reformed church in Zurich, and then also maybe church plants going out from there. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost. And there is, of course, sometimes an element where we might be discouraged in seeing that the country is so rich and uh, it is so wealthy, and how could they ever uh, turn around, but we know that the, the gospel is really the power of God and it can convert sinners and we should really trust that the Lord can do a great work if we do trust that the ordinary means are the things he's using, the Spirit of God using to convert people. So please pray for this work. And secondly, of course, if there um, is opportunity that people 
could also financially give, that would be absolutely amazing. And I'm not sure whether you can put somewhere a link up to my web uh, to the website or something along these lines um, under the podcast. That would be great where people could find out more about that. Yeah, I'll certainly have a link in the description in the show notes, as it were. And if anyone has any questions or wants to get a hold of Florian, you could certainly uh, contact anyone in EPQ or anyone here at the seminary, and we'd be happy to, to make that connection. And Florian's being very modest. He kind of snuck in there the reference that Switzerland's a very wealthy country, Zurich's a very wealthy city. Um, it's not just very wealthy. It is one of the wealthiest places in the world, richest places in the world materially, even though it's spiritually impoverished. You know, usually these things tend to go hand in hand for whatever reason, uh, at least on a social level, if not personal level. But it's also one of the most expensive places to live. I think the the last uh, the last you know rundown of this is uh, Zurich is more expensive uh, is a more expensive place to live than New York City. Mm-hmm. And I have mm-hmm. family in New York City. I know how crazy expensive it is to live there yeah, in any of the yeah. boroughs, um, especially Manhattan. But Zurich, as a financial center in Europe, second only to London, right, yeah, yeah. is is one of the most fabulously expensive places to live. And uh, that doesn't mean that it's any less of a priority for us. Um, but it, it, in fact, it, it means that we should take seriously the 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 command to reach the nations and how that applies in a wealthy place like that of getting behind somebody, um, getting behind a team. And uh, thankfully, WPTS and GPTS are committed to sending men into pastoral ministry without any debt from seminary anyway, uh, without any financial encumbrance that way. But uh, Florin and Veronica are still uh, needing to, to raise quite a bit of support for that. And so I'll boldly ask you, not on behalf of the seminary, but uh, just uh, on behalf of the, of the Wikens and EPQ in this work to consider bringing, uh, bringing their mission, their work before your missions committee, or even discussing it with, uh, with your husband or your wife, depending on who you are that's listening, and thinking about how you might be able to support a work in Zurich, Switzerland, one of the fountainheads of the Reformation, and consider the debt we American Christians, especially Reformed Christians, owe to uh, to these places uh, and 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 just to that heritage. You know, this is something we we prayed about before pressing record. I, I prayed for the heritage of of reformed lands and reformed Christendom in Europe, and and just how how unbelievably burned over the whole land is and how dark it is. But yet we remember one of those one of those slogans of the Reformation in Latin, post tenebra. Luke's. Yeah, and what does that mean? After the darkness light. Yes, and so may this be our prayer. Yeah. That, yeah. that, you know, we've had centuries of darkness in Europe, um, and, and there's more darkness to come if the trajectory of Islam is any indicator. But may there be light shining forth. And Islam is interesting because I think there is really an element where in the Reformation time, of course, the Islamic forces were before Vienna and so on, and they were very close. And it seems almost that the Lord was gracious in a sense of he sent the Reformation and it went away to some extent, the threat. And I think the threat is certainly to some degree um, real uh, in Europe, and uh, but because Europe has really forgotten 
um, the Bible has forgotten the scriptures, forgotten Christianity at all. And of course, then religions like Islam and also other religions, Eastern religions that are coming in, um, they, they, they become really something big and, and powerful. So we really, need, we really need Christ's gospel and his word preached to, to counter this. And these competing cults and religions, they force the, que- the question for secularists. Um, you know, most, most secularists I've, I've found, they don't want to talk directly about the truth claims of religions. They want to dismiss them or ridicule them, you know, so they end up talking about them a lot, ironically, but they, they say, oh, we don't want to. We're scientifically minded. They're dismissed. But when you're when you're when you're in the public square in public engagement with with uh, people who for whom religion is extremely important, you know your 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 typical Muslim or or you know Eastern religious New Agey person, where this is kind of the end all be all of life. Secularists can't just say, well, we dismiss that as unimportant. You know, I think we Christians maybe have let them do that for the sake of pluralism, but these these competitors aren't. And so it's going to force a question and bring this to mind. And in, in those scenarios, where are people going to go to to uh, to get answers? They're going to go, hopefully, to God's word. And and who is who is responsible for making that word available and proclaiming it? Well, God's church and God's people and ordained ministers and uh, and Christians. So. I think that the work you're doing, Florian, is extremely critical. Now, tell me a little bit about, if you have a vision for this, you might not yet, we're pretty early on, and so if you don't, you know, it's fine just to say we don't have a vision yet. But I think of, you know, not just Nathan and Benjamin and the other FQ men yeah. in England, yeah. but as well as uh, some of our other graduates. We have, mm-hmm. um, we have a man in Belgium uh, working, we have a man in Viterbo, Italy, we have a man in Duras, Albania, we have men in Hungary with the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Central and Eastern Europe. Our listeners might be thinking, there are all these different countries. What does Florian have to do with it? Well, Switzerland's like the size of Pennsylvania. And so from Pennsylvania to South Carolina, um, it's kind of like Switzerland down to maybe central uh, Italy. Italy you yeah, know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, the distances are very different. And so there will be opportunities for some collegiality and, and doing ministry together. Do you have any vision for that and what those relationships will look like at this point? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is really what what I really hope is to, to strengthen basically kind of among the German speaking um, world. So there are definitely um, also two kind of reformed works in Germany, um, Heidelberg, uh, I believe. And then um, there's another one as well. Um, Stuttgart. Uh, Stuttgart could be one. And there's even another one now that the name escapes me of the, the place. But it doesn't really matter. And the EPQ has also a church plant in Berlin. Johannes Müller is there to really kind of that um, we would be able maybe to, in the long run to to connect these works to have even a, a, a German Presbytery. A German-speaking if, yeah, Presbyterian. If there is, and certainly first um, with Johannes Müller and maybe have another church plant going as well or something along these lines. And that would be um, really great if that's possible. And the other things, um, I haven't really thought about Italy yet or these other places. But I, I do think there is probably room for things that we could have um, um, meetings for mutual encouraging uh, each other and so on. And certainly, yeah, that should be should be done if possible. We've had faculty go over to, um, well, Dr. Curdo spends a lot of time in 
uh, Austria and in Switzerland. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And, uh, an awful lot of time. I think every year he goes over there for a couple weeks. And then um, Dr. Piper will go over to Italy. He serves on the provisional session for Mike Cuneo in Viterbo. He'll go there pretty much every summer and typically will arrange for a minister's conference uh, where the different guys from all these different countries that I've said will converge and uh, and encourage one another, grow in grace and godliness, get get refreshed and, and fed from the word as Dr. Piper brings it. And, um, and certainly that's important because loneliness is a real and present danger when you're out there on your own as a church planter, but particularly when you don't even have other churches within driving distance. Um, so, well, I think that um, you've given us some clear direction to pray for you, to consider the financial need and, and stand with you and um, and certainly uh, we will be doing uh, at least the former, I hope. And mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. the Lord Thank allows you, yeah. us doing the latter. Yeah. Folks, if I seem really direct on this, there's two reasons for that. One is immediately I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm a direct person. But uh, more or less immediately, the Graf surname actually has its origins in northern Switzerland. And, uh, and the Graf family, my ancestors, were part of the Zwinglian Reformation and then got... Um, brought into Anabaptism and, and the Mennonite movement before coming here to the States. There's a castle, Grafenwald, not too far from Zurich. Uh, one of my ancestors died on the field of battle alongside of Zwingli, maybe not right next to him, but just in the same battle on the Protestant side. So I have this nostalgic kind of, you know, romantic vision <laughs> for what, what could be again, you know, uh, my, my distant relatives that are still over there coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ through Reformed Witness would be uh, something that would, that would excite me. So hopefully you're catching some of this too. Florian, do you have any closing thoughts before, before I let you go? No, I'm just really thankful that I was able to be here and to speak um, on this podcast. And thank you. Thank you very much. And please, yes, please pray. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, brother. Thank you for listening to Confessing Our Hope, a podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit www.gpts.edu or visit us on Sermon Audio, iTunes, Anchor FM, or uh, social media. Thank you.